You guys can be seated. Just as a disclaimer, since I said in the announcements that I had several less pages, I don't typically file my notes anyway. So I just just want that to be out there before I start. Now, really, seriously, though, we are uh, back in the book of Galatians, talking about freedom today. Freedom really is a concept we love in America. I mean, honestly, you think about our history and heritage, we love freedom. I mean, the, the idea of it, the, the concept of it, we, we really love the idea that we kind of get to do and be the people we want to be. Hmm. The truth is, though, the truth is the concept of freedom that is typically talked about and expressed in our culture and in the world we live doesn't really exist. I mean, whether you're thinking of some level of subjectivity or some level of submission, be it imposed upon you through legal means, like we have laws that we must obey. We are not free to do everything that might enter our minds because there are laws we must follow. I can't get on the interstate and see how fast my car will go as desperately as I want to try it. My, there's like 140, I think it reads on the speedometer. I would love to take that car 140 just to see if it will do it. But I am not free to do that. The relationships we live in impose upon us some level of of responsibility in which we are not free to act in any old way we, we would prefer. I am married and I love my wife. I'm not free to go and love any other woman. Ask her. She will tell you I am not free to go and love any other woman. Maybe it's even vocational. You know, whether it's legal, personal, or, or even vocational, even the CEO of a company who seems to be able to set the tone and direction and purpose of a business is subject to someone. Our view, the, the, the common view that we have in America of freedom doesn't really exist. We are always subject to someone or something. But there is a real freedom. There is a real, genuine freedom, and it can be ours. It can define the scope of our lives. It can, it can define who we are and how we live. And truly, truly, that freedom, that genuine freedom that I'm referring to, is the entire sum and theme of the letter of Galatians. Every step along the way, every place we've been in this letter, we have been building to this moment. I have been looking forward for months and months to this sermon. I actually have preached on freedom once in Galatians already. But this moment, this verse, I believe, is the central thesis and theme of what Paul was getting at. Now, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. Was it, was it important in the first two chapters for Paul to spend time in those first two chapters establishing, re-establishing his authority and his identity in the gospel? It absolutely was essential for him to do that. Because as he then turned into chapters 3 and 4 and began to teach the doctrine of the gospel and called these people back 
to the gospel as he preached to them the gospel, it was imperative that they understood he was the person who could preach that message. And was it important? Was it, was it a waste of time for us to spend weeks going through chapters 3 and 4? I mean, if really all we're looking to do is get to this point where we can talk about freedom in Christ, it, was it even worth the time that we took to spend months and months working through chapters 3 and 4? And, and was it even worth me encouraging you to read and memorize these chapters in this book? Was it, was it even worth the effort? Absolutely, it is worth the effort. See, I don't want you to hear me saying that, that it wasn't important to hear Paul's defense and his testimony and his establishment, reestablishment of his authority. I don't, I don't want you to hear me saying that there was no reason for us to stop and, and study and hear his plea for them to hear the gospel and be, to come back to the gospel. But there is a reason that men like Boyce, as they refer to the letter of Galatians, Call it the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, of Christian freedom. There's a reason that Boyce said this. Not many books, he says, not many books have made such a lasting impression on men's mind as the epistle of Paul to the Galatians, nor have many done so much to shape the history of the Western world. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, and this is quite correct. For it rightly maintains that only through the grace of God in Jesus Christ is a, is a person enabled to escape the curse of his sin and of the law and to live a new life. Not in bondage or license, but in a genuine freedom of mind and spirit through the power of God. There's a reason that Boyce wrote about Galatians in this way. There's a reason that I didn't entitle this Galatians Paul's exposition of the gospel. There's a reason that this series that we've gone through, there's a reason that I entitled it Fighting for Freedom. And it's not because I don't love the gospel or that I'm not concerned about the gospel. I love the gospel. I, I love the story of, of God working to provide redemption and restoration. I love the story of how God remains just while at the same time calling sinners righteous. I love and am thankful for how God works to spare us from His wrath while offering us life. I am thankful. I am thankful for the Gospel because I know that in the Gospel, and it's because of the Gospel, that we are. You see, we exist individually as believers in Jesus Christ as, as, as a work of the gospel. But more importantly, at least if, if, you, if you've been with us any time, you understand that how I view we as a church exist because of the gospel. We are brothers and sisters in Christ as a function and because of the gospel. I love the gospel. And not only do we exist because of the gospel, and together we become an expression of the gospel. I love the gospel. The good news that we, that we can be redeemed and reconciled to, to God our Creator. I love the gospel. But don't miss this. As we 
emphasize the gospel. And as we study the gospel, don't miss this. The gospel is not an end in itself. The gospel is the vehicle by which God meets us and moves us. You see, through the gospel, He met you right where you are. Through the gospel, He made you someone different than you were. You see, think of it in these terms. Because of the gospel, through the gospel... God moves us from death to life. Because of the gospel, God moves us from sin to righteousness. And we've already studied that. It's part of what Paul was arguing for in Galatians 3 when he said that that if a law had been given or could be given that could give life, then righteousness would be through the law. You see, he's taking those two ideas of life and righteousness and he's demonstrating that they only come one way. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And it's through the gospel that God moves us from strangers to sons. The closing, all the end of chapter 3 and moving into chapter 4, this was Paul's point. It's not simply a legalistic transaction. It's not just a legal transaction in which God says you're innocent. But he makes us someone new. We are children of God because of the gospel. But the gospel wasn't an end in it. It's simply the vehicle through which he did this amazing work in us. That's why I love the gospel. That's why I want to talk so much about the gospel, because in the gospel we find these answers and we find these truths that that aren't just lofty ideas that are distant and don't have any meaning or effect on our life, but they change everything. They change everything. And then, as you'll see today, I think, as you'll see today, If I do my job well, you'll begin to see just how it changes everything. Because through the gospel, we are made free. And we can enjoy this freedom that we so emphasize and appreciate about in American culture. But don't miss it. It's a different freedom than you might define it. Freedom in Christ is not a freedom to be your own God, to do your own thing, but a freedom to be who He's always designed you to be. Let's see. Let's just see what the Scripture says. Galatians 5.1. It's one verse. All we're going to deal with today. It's the only way I could trim my sermon down. One verse. For freedom... Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, or stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, a lot of people, as they deal with this verse, they struggle with where it belongs. Some people say, well, really, Paul's talking about freedom, and he closed out chapter 4. If you look, if you've got your Bibles and you can look back, you can see he was just talking about the, the son of the slave woman and the son of the free woman. And so, really, Chapter 5, verse 1 really belongs with chapter 4. 
And then there's others that are like, no, I, I kind of understand why he's put it in chapter 5, and I understand why there's this division here. I'm of the opinion, with many of the people I read from, I'm of the opinion that it belongs with both. The only reason we see a division is simply because someone along the way decided to put a chapter number there. But really, this verse is transitional. It's a transition from, from Paul giving us doctrine. Paul teaching and placing fact upon fact upon fact upon fact and providing proof upon proof upon proof that the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ alone and that's the only way you're saved. That's, that's what he proved over and over and over and he showed the superiority of God's promise as opposed to the law. And he's providing this this. this constant fact upon fact and and so I, I i totally understand how this starts he's providing for us another fact and then he follows it with a command because in the chapters that follow in, in, in chapters five and six we move from we, we see in chapters one and two we see him providing his his testimony and his restatement of his authority and his identity in the gospel. And, and we see in chapter 1, or chapter 3 and 4, I'm sorry, we see in chapter 3 and 4 a doctrine or a position or a pre presentation of, of the gospel, specifically the way the Galatians needed to hear it. And then we see in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to get very practical about the implications and applications of this truth. You can't be saved except through faith alone. But what does that mean? You see, he has been stating, as I said, fact upon fact. He's been, been, been sharing one thing right after another. And as, as we interpret the Bible and as we strive to understand the, the different positions and, and, and strive to understand how we, we read it and, and understand it and apply it to life and interpret it and strive to understand the original meanings, we look at the moods in which they write and which they speak. And what we see in chapter 3 and 4 is a very indicative mood. And what that means is simply that he is, he is simply stating fact upon fact. Now, he stated in chapter 1 and 2 the facts that he relayed to us. He relayed to us that he was converted, that he was converted and he was sent not by man but by God. He, he stated the fact of how he defended the gospel in Jerusalem. He stated the fact of how the gospel had authority to correct a man even like Peter and in Peter's place in the church. In chapters uh, 3 and 4, he states that salvation is by faith alone, that the law brings a curse and it doesn't bring salvation. He states that that we are made sons only by faith in Christ. He, he states these things without asking questions about, do you agree with me? Is this something you think is right? He simply tells them, this is how it is. Take it or leave it. And here, he opens up with the same indicative mood. Jesus has set you free. He doesn't ask you how you feel about it. In fact, all that he's been doing, all that he's been writing, all the ways that he's been preparing has been preparing for him to say this one thing. Jesus set you free. Well, free from what? What's he been teaching about all the way through 3 and 4? Free from the law, free from the curse, free from, from sin and death. Free, free, free. But as you'll see, that, that, that verse by itself 
or that phrase by itself. It isn't alone, is it? Because it's quickly followed by what we call an imperative. See, an imperative, in the, the imperative mood, is a command that he also doesn't give you really an option to follow. It's just like, well, it's like when I tell my kids, go clean up your room. It's not like I'm wanting to know how they feel about going to clean up their room. Go clean up your room. Oh, well, you know, Dad, I, I don't feel like doing it right now. I, I, I you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some more video games, and, and when I get ready, I'll go clean my room. No, that's not the imperative mood. The imperative mood is a command. It's a command to, to act, a command to act, not, not based on how you feel about it or what you think about it or what your opinion is. It's a command to act based upon the indicative that was just given. Jesus set you free, so be free. Now, why is this important? Why, why am I breaking this down this way? Why am I talking to you about it? Why is it important? Because as believers, we are called and expected to follow this command because of the facts that Paul has been saying. You see, in our culture, we get this all backwards. We get it all wrong. In our culture, in our context, in the way that we view doing things, we typically put the cart before the horse. We think that, oh, well, I've got to act all good and I've got to do the right things and if I, if I, just, if, if I just say the right words and if I just, if, if I just perform in the right way, if, I, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. Or we think, oh, well, Jesus died for me, that's great, and now, because He died for me, to really be accepted... I've got to perform in this way. I've got to do this thing. And we add to Jesus all of these other cultural expectations. If I don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, what will I do? You know, as long as I don't do them, then Jesus will still love me. And see, that's really getting the cart before the horse. It's asking the horse to push the cart rather than pull it, and it just doesn't work. A cart was designed to be pulled. You and I were designed to be pulled by our faith into salvation. I mean, think about this. Our faith in Jesus Christ should be what leads us to act in the ways that we act. Our belief that Jesus truly is God and He came down here and loved us should be the reasons that we're moved to act and obey the way that we're called to act and obey. You see, it's getting things in the proper order. Our faith leads us to obedience. Our love for Jesus, because of His love first, leads us to obedience. But this is freedom in its truest form. Understanding all that God has done in all the ways that He's provided for you and all that, all that it implies that when it says that He has called you His child and that He has adopted you, that He's removed you from the curse and removed His wrath from you. It sets us free. Free no longer, no longer having to keep some law. Free no longer from simply ha having to make up some law. Free from our successes. Free from our failures. Free from ourselves. 
Because now we don't stand doing everything we can to be accepted by God, but we recognize that we have been accepted by God. God has looked at you in Christ. If you're a believer and you're sitting here today, if you're someone who is coming to a place where you recognize the beauty of the Gospel and you're believing in Christ, God is looking at you and not saying, perform, 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 perform. He's saying, I love you and I accept you. And He does that through the Gospel. And that's the freedom we have in Christ. See, Jesus said, he said, and, and the way, and the way, I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Paul said. The way he said it is interesting. It's somewhat ironic. I, I almost hear uh, kind of a, a hint of sarcasm. He says, for freedom, Jesus set you free. Jesus set you free so you can be free. You see what the problem the Galatians had was that they were doing everything they could to, to run from their freedom and turn back to slavery. In, in the beginning, they were pagans. You know, there was a mixture of Jews and, and, and Galatians. The Galatians were pagan people. There was a mixture of these people in the church. Don't mishear me that there wasn't some people who were already bound up in the law. But the truth is, is that both of these things come together under this place where Paul preaches the gospel and shows them freedom in Christ. And they accept it, and they trust in it, and they believe it, and they come to this place where now they're sons of God. He's told them, in Christ you are sons of God. They come to this place, and, and, and they understand that, but then they hear someone say, but you need to do this work. You need to try this one more thing, just so you can be more special, more accepted. You know, Jesus' death is great, but it's not quite enough. And what that meant was that they had been turning back to slavery. They, they had left the slavery and now we're turning back. And, and Paul's saying, for freedom, Jesus has set you free. You are released from the curse of the law. You are released from, from the weight of God's wrath. You are released and now you are sons. You are someone totally new. You're free. Why would you turn back? For freedom, Christ has set you free. Now, let's be honest. In our culture, this is not something that a lot of people even want to preach about real boldly or clearly. In fact, there's this idea that this is a dangerous gospel. I've even heard it called that. Simply because people think, well, you know what? If you tell people it doesn't matter how they act or what they do, and, and it's all about Jesus Christ, and they're going to go out and sin and act in ways that, that are, are just horrible, and they're going to live reprobate lives, and the whole time they're living those reprobate lives, they're going to be using Jesus' name as if, if I can live in sin because Jesus saved me and made me free. I'm free, so I get to go and do what I want. I'm free. I don't answer to anyone. I'm free. That's a total misunderstanding of the freedom. But simply because we abuse it, simply because we mistakenly understand it, simply because we misinterpret it, simply because we misapply it, doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach boldly that this is the freedom that we as believers enjoy in Jesus Christ and the work that He did for you and I through the Gospel. See, Jesus freed us so that we could be free. 
free from the weight and burden of worry that we might not make it because we didn't do good enough. I sat with a friend the other night and listened as this person just unloaded all of the guilt and burden they carry. I'm not worthy of this. I, I, I still sin and there's this particular sin in my life that I struggle with and it's killing me and it's, I feel so guilty and dirty. She hasn't recognized her freedom. She's not resting in the grace of Jesus Christ. She's living out of some mindset that she has to perform to earn His love. It's so wrong. It's so mistaken. I don't want any of you, I don't want any of you to feel that. I want you to be free. Because Jesus set you free to be free. He did the work. He paid the price. He stood before God and said, I take that wrath. And he soaked it up. And the, the song we sing, the song we sing, you know, the, the, that's, it's so emotional and moving when you hear the story behind the song. But, but when you sing and hear the words from, I don't know, Spafford, I can't remember his name. But he says, my sins and not, not in part, but the whole. My sins, not in part, but the whole. He recognizes. He knows that that price Jesus paid wasn't for your life up to the moment that you came to meet Him. It wasn't for, for the day to day, okay, I, I messed up today, I've got to earn God's grace again. Tomorrow I'll be better. Every last sin, every last failure, every single success that you might think makes you worthy, everything that you do that strives to prove that you somehow should be accepted by God, all of your good deeds done with selfish motivations, Jesus Christ paid for those. You are free. He set you free to be free. I want you to think of it in these terms. When we view from, when we look at these, at the spectrum of things there are to think about and the spectrum of of perspectives that we can hold in this area. When those spectrums revolve around a humanistic standpoint, when they revolve around me, no matter where I look, they all end in slavery. When my spectrum of view, when my, when my perspective is either law or me being good, and, and I can be good enough, and I don't have to follow the law, but I, I certainly got to be a good person. Or, or it's, you know what, the world says this, and so I really like what the sound of the world is, and they say God's loving. So if I just agree that God's loving, but God would never let people suffer, well, that's the God I want. And so any time, at any point in this spectrum, that you're the center of it, and you're the prism at which it's broken out in, and this spectrum of light is shining through you and your perspectives, it ends in slavery. 
But I want you to leave here with a new, a new idea, a new understanding, a new spectrum to see through because the truth is that in Jesus Christ, He's given us a new spectrum of light. You see, we're no longer seeing just the infrared and the incomplete and ugly picture that it paints. But through Jesus Christ, the prism of His life, we see the beauty of the rainbow in all its colors. And when we look at the law, we see Jesus. And when we look at our works, we see Jesus. And when we look at the world's perspectives, we see Jesus. He answered every question. He met every demand. We are free and we can see it now because He has made us free. Go home with that perspective. Live with that perspective. Look at the colors of the rainbow and enjoy His perspective. You are free because Jesus set you free. But if that's true, why didn't Paul just stop there? Why didn't Paul just stop? Jesus set you free so you can be free. Now run on and, and just accept that however you want to. Because Paul knows that people are like you and me. He knows we need help. You see, that, that indicative statement that Jesus has set you free so that you can be free is followed up by a command because now he knows we need direction. Because we were never meant to be our own little gods. We, we were never meant to rule our own lives. And even as hard as we try, we don't even really rule our own lives. We were always called to be under God's authority. And whether we like it or not, whether people accept it or not, you know, it doesn't matter if a person perceives themselves as under God's authority or not. The truth is every person that has ever lived has lived under the sovereign God who created and rules and now holds all things together. That's who we are. And so really this, this next statement, this next command, it's like Jesus set you free so you can be free. So go and be free. But wait, he gave me a command. What does that mean? Go and be free now. Don't turn back to slavery. Don't put back on a yoke that you're not meant to carry. Don't put back on a yoke that's so heavy that it weighs you down that you can't carry it. That yoke was given to Jesus. And he carries it willingly. Why would you want to pick it back up? Why would we want to pick it back up? Paul's saying, don't pick it back up. Don't pick it back up. Quit performing. Don't try to measure up. Rest in grace. But live for him, to him, because of him through him. You know, the beauty of this, the beauty of this is, is not that, that, that we now have some command to follow. But because of all we've learned through three and four, 
that, that Christ has taken care of the law, that, that there is no curse in him, that the promise says that God is going to save people in spite of themselves, and that when he saves people, he makes them new people. The, the, the beauty of this command is that now we are empowered to do it with a proper perspective. You see, because we are free now, because we are free now, we can live and be the people God designed us to be. You see, I can live a life that honors God, not striving to measure up because God made me free. You, you, you can live a life that honors God, not because you're trying to measure up or prove that you should be accepted to him, by Him, but because He made you free. You see, we can obey the command, don't pick up that yoke, live free because of the indicative statement that says Jesus made us free. Let's tie it all together. The indicative. Jesus set you free. The command. So be free. All the way through it. It's built on this one idea. Jesus did a work for you. And it enables you to now live in such a way that it looks like your works are for him comes from a new heart, a new perspective. And, and so think about this. Think, think about the implications and the applications. We're actually going to be talking about it for weeks. But think about the implications and applications. Your time can be sacrificed, not because you have to give it to God, because you get to give it to God. The abilities and gifts that he's given you, the, the, the things that you can do, can be given to serve and, and minister and, and help and build his people. Not because you have to, but because you've been empowered to. The money that he's blessed us with can be used to move his mission in fact, it's really one of the big reasons he's given it to us. It's our responsibility to see his mission move. Not because we legalistically hold to some rule that's given in the Old Testament, but because he has been so gracious and generous to us that now all we desire in this new identity is to be gracious and generous for him. Oh, it's every area of our life we are free. Jesus has freed you. So be free. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for this truth. I thank you for the letter of Galatians to affirm this in our lives. That there is no work we can do. No way we can measure up. But we don't need to anymore. I pray, God, I pray that you would rest, just, just rest this knowledge right upon our hearts that we might be moved by it, that we, might, that we might release the issues and the guilt and stand in your grace.
that we might stand firm and not be moved. Not because we did some work, but because it's been done in us. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we come to a time of response, and I, I pray, I pray that this week you're you're just moved and in awe of the work that God did for you. I, I pray that God is is through His Spirit just resting heavily upon you and just reminding you of His Word. And in that time of response, every week we, we come to this place where we come and take communion, but think about how fitting it is in this moment. You're free, and the, the free grace that we received was bought at a price, a price that you and I couldn't pay. But Jesus could. So he allowed himself. He humbled himself. He submitted to the power of man, knowing that it was always God who was in control. He allowed himself to be beaten and bloodied and broken and spit upon and, and, and laughed at and persecuted. He allowed himself to be tempted and tried. You, you heard the song we sang earlier. I mean, the, the truth is he became human. He, he, he became poor. He put himself in our place so we could be brought to, into his I think there is no more fitting sermon, no more fitting time to remember the price that bought our freedom, his body, his shed blood. And so today, I want you to spend time, you need to spend time confessing your sin and come to the table prepared, ready. But I don't want you to come, to, to come somber and, and broken. I want you to come celebrating because in Christ you are free. This bought your freedom. It's worthy to be a celebration.